Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Hello, everybody. Man, it's good to see everybody. I was sitting there and I was getting a little bit emo- emotional just, just thinking about, you know, BC and, uh, man, I was here for a lot of years and, and man, I'm just, uh, man, just seeing so many, fa- I'm surprised. How many were in youth ministry now is here in my youth ministry? You still go to church? Look at that right there. I didn't do that bad, Pastor Joe. Look at all of them. How many were in church when I was here? We were part of this church. Wow, that is something else. Man, God bless all of you. I thought I chased everybody out of this church, but you are still here. <laughs> well, it is good to see everyone. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, my wife Leslie couldn't be here, and they call us Beauty and the Beast. I'll let you figure out which one she is. But anyway, we have three grown kids. We have three grandsons now. Oh, yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, and we, and we, and we, got, and we got one on the way, and, uh, which will make number four, and man, our life is good. We're, we're in Russellville, Arkansas. We planted a church there about three years ago, and uh, things have gone well and, um, there, and, we, and we we're loving what, what God has given us uh, the opportunity to do. But before I go on, I, I got to talk a little bit about Pastor Joe and Gina. Um, all, all kidding aside, um, you know, I don't know of anyone that I respect more than Pastor Joe and Gina. I know them personally, and I know them on on the public side. And what you see is what you get. And I don't know people, I don't know anyone that has greater character, greater integrity, and their spiritual lives. Now, I'm talking with Pastor Joe last night, and I'm feeling backslidden, like i got to change my spiritual life, because he's so connected to God. and to the, <laughs> But you guys, I'm going to tell you what, man. It, it is amazing what God's done. Can we give them a hand? Now, I, I said that to set, to set this up, because that, that, that was all true. But I, I get nervous. You know, Pastor Joe didn't mention that I could be somewhat prophetic. And you can judge that here in a minute. But I, I get nervous thinking, you know, Pat, holy Pastor Joe, you know, I don't want to do it if I get struck. You know, anyway, so if, it was nice knowing you. I'll see you in heaven. If, yeah. But I, I, had to, I had this dream, and uh, unfortunately, Pastor Joe died. Oh, I know, yeah. And um, <laughs> no, wait, wait. He's in heaven, and these two guys die at the same time, and they're at the gates of heaven. And, and St. Peter looks at all three of them and says, hey, you can't. I said, there's only one thing you can't do in heaven. You can't lie. If you lie, the ugliest woman in heaven will be attached to your side for eternity. So they get in there. The first, the first guy made it about a week and a half, and he started, you know, he lied about how famous. He was this famous athlete. Bam! Ugliest woman attached to his side for eternity. The second guy made it about three weeks, and he, he lied about he was this famous actor. Bam! Ugliest woman attached to his side in heaven for eternity. So these, these two guys are walking down the streets of gold with the ugliest woman in heaven, and all of a sudden, here comes Pastor Joe with the most beautiful woman. Looks a lot like Pastor Gina coming down, and they're looking at each other. They're going, what? What? You know, they're going back and forth. How did he get her and they walked up said pastor joe how did you get her he said ask her she said i lied <laughs> oh I, i'm sorry yeah yeah <laughs> okay wait let me see if i'm still breathing yeah i'm still here we're good <laughs> well hey let, let, let's jump into this today because today you know everything i talk about as a pastor I always have this in mind. Souls is always is the thing that I have 
in mind. Every time I speak, every time I talk about any subject, the end in mind for me is souls because the essence of Christian life can be summed up in four words. Love God, love people. I mean, because they, they, they go hand in hand. And the most important thing that you can know is that God loves you. Look to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. The most important thing you can know, that God loves you. I like what one man said. He said this. He says, your love for God can never exceed your knowing of his for you. And the most important thing that we can do, church, is we can love him back. And one way that we love him back, probably the most important way that we love God back, is we love people because God's passion is people. And at the end of the day, we, Pastor Joe and I were just talking about this last night. At the end of the day, there's no greater miracle than someone receiving this gift of salvation. And at the end of the day, nothing else will ever matter as much as us helping people have an eternal relationship with God. Anybody agree with that this morning? I mean, it, tonight, or what time is it? It's tonight, okay. It, you know, it, it, none of that. And so, so my desire, I say all this because my, my, my desire was always to be part of a church and to be a church where people could come and find hope and encouragement. In fact, I want to say this to you today, and you got to hear me out for a moment, that one of the most spiritual things that you can actually do is to be an encourager, to build people up, to, to encourage people. And this is why I believe it, because God is the king of bringing hope to people. You know, we got the cross. He says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The greater one lives in you. He goes on and says things like, like <clears throat> you are more than a conqueror. Then even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Now, Paul just faced things like he talks about he, had, he was in battles, he was facing conflict, and then Paul said he was facing fear. And I love this. When, when after there's something negative, say, I love when they say, but God, because God's bigger. And he said, but God, who encourages those who are discouraged. So what I want to do is I'm going to follow his lead today, and I want to talk to you just a little bit about hope and encouragement. There was a uh, there's a certain Bible college, and what they do, their students, to graduate, they have to do a biography on a Christian leader, and they have 18 questions. And it was interesting to me, the 18th question, it kind of was profound, because this is what it was. It said this, what is the single most important thing that you do as a pastor? And as I began to think about that, my conclusion may, may surprise you, but don't judge me <laughs> out, out of the box here. You got you to hear me out. What is the single most important thing that I have to do as a pastor is I have to make sure I stay encouraged. Now think about this. How about you? What is the most single important thing that you have to do as a mom or a dad or maybe an educator or a leader or maybe a, a business owner or a student? What's the single most important thing that you got to do? Because if you think about it, if I'm not encouraged, I can't be the pastor that God's called me to be. I can't be the father. I can't be the husband. I can't be the friend that God wants me to be if I'm not encouraged. So the single most important thing that I believe that I need to do is I need to stay encouraged. So today, really what I want to talk about is I'm going to talk about releasing the power of hope and encouragement in your life because I believe it can be 
one of the most important things that you do. And I believe the, the Bible echoes that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at this for a moment. Verse 13, it says this, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And it says the greatest of these is love. And right here, the Bible, it, it shows us the, the, the three most important values in the Scripture, faith, hope, and love. Now, if you think about it, we talk about two of the three all the time. We talk about faith all the time. We, we do series on faith. We, there's books written about faith. Every church has its statement of faith. Then you think about love. There's songs written about love. Movies are written about love. Churches are built on love. But hope, when you think about hope, hope we don't talk about as much as the other three. And the Bible says it is one of, uh, 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 of the big three. And it's so important to me, this part, this value of God, hope and encouragement, because a number of years ago, I came to a place in my life, and I don't know if you've ever done this in your profession, but I, I, I started thinking about what is the thing that I can be the best at? The sooner you understand what you're really good at, the faster you can be that successor, you, you can come to be that person that you want to be in your life. So when I started doing this, I started saying, okay, what can I be great at? And, and, and I thought, okay, I, I'm, I'm a natural athlete. I, I could, almost any sport I could play. You know, that's why I'm a Steeler fan. So any sport I could play. And then, then, and then the second thing that I was really natural at is eating. I can eat with the best of them, let me tell you. But when I started thinking about pastoring, I mean, that's, I mean, I, mean, I have to outwork everybody because I don't have a lot of natural gifts. Like a lot of my pastor friends, they're really talented, like intellectual, like Pastor Joe. You know, Pastor Joe can take like the most difficult part of scriptures and he breaks them down and makes them basic and simple. And I'm looking at how in the world, you know, he, I, I don't got the intellectual side, obviously, you can tell. And the, the second thing I saw was musically. From Have you ever heard me sing? No, I don't have any of it. So I can't sing, I can't rap, you know. I'm funny, obviously. You, 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 well, you did laugh at my joke. By the way, I may have that going for me. Dance, I can do a little whip, whip, nay, nay, how's that? Whip. But I, I can't do that. But, but, but really, I started thinking of all these things to get on a serious note. And really, I, I said, okay, Lord, what can I be great at? What can I be really, really good at? And really, I landed on this value in the Word of God. It's hope and it's encouragement. So what I began to do is I began to intentionally encourage people. Actually, on my calendar every day, this is what it says, win the world with encouragement. But this is what I found out. I found out the only way that I can do that is I got to be encouraged myself. I can encourage and encourage and encourage when I am encouraged myself. So I've learned to raise the level of encouragement in my own life. So what I like to do today is I like to ask a couple questions. Number one is what is the enemy of, of hope? It's discouragement. And discouragement can be a big deal. For number one, I'm going to tell you why discouragement is a big deal. Because everybody I see in the scriptures that's done anything for God have always had a bounce back from discouragement. Like Moses, for instance. He had a bounce back from failure. Raise your hand if you've ever failed anything. Anybody out there? Failure. Yeah, Moses, Moses had a bounce back from lack of encouragement of the people that he was leading. Think about a guy like Peter. I mean, Peter had a bounce back. You know, for, he, he discouraged himself by, by, by rejecting Christ. <clears throat> 
By re, by, yeah, by, by rejecting Christ. How about Joseph? Joseph's had a bounce back from, from mistreatment from a dysfunctional family. Anybody relate to that? How about Elijah? Elijah had a bounce back from personal criticism. Now, I love Elijah. If you know the story of Elijah, he was a man's man. He took on the, you know, he, he started smack talk in the Old Testament. He took on the 450 prophets of Baal. You know, he made fun of their God. Boom, God shows up with fire. All the 450 ba- prophets of Baal are wiped out. But criticism from one woman makes him hide out in a cave. And as I meditated on that, nothing has changed for 3,000 years. But anyway, I, but Elijah, I, I thought, <laughs> but, 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 but <laughs> thank goodness Leslie isn't here. But, but you know, what, the one thing that we can see about discouragement, great men had to bounce back from it. Another problem with discouragement, is I don't know if you ever thought about like this, how powerful it is. Let me give you a few facts about discouragement. Number one, it's a universal disease. Okay, everybody pay attention right now. You're going to have to respond to this. If you don't, God may do something to you right there in your seat. How many have been discouraged in the last three months? Raise your hand. Look at that. It's a universal disease. You know, it's also a repeating disease. You can get discouraged over and over again. And it's also, number three, it is a contagious disease. You can catch discouragement from people around you. Do you know anybody? Don't you be pointing fingers. The minute they come around you, your boss, your friend, your coworker, your family member, I mean, discouragement is automatic. You see him coming and you get discouraged. I think about, anybody remember Charlie Brown? I think about Pigpen had the cloud around him. That's what, you know what I'm talking about. It, so so it's, it's, a, it's a contagious disease. But here's the real problem with discouragement. It's deadly. If it sticks around long enough, it can wreck your life. And it can ruin your relationships. And if you're taking notes today, listen to me. Discouragement always precedes or comes before destruction. Almost every marriage that I've seen end up being destroyed. It was preceded by discouragement. I never had a guy come to me and say, man, I love my wife. She's just amazingly awesome. And I want to divorce her. No. Discouragement. I mean, every person... I've seen walk away from God. Every person I've come to me and said, Mark, I, wanna, I don't want to live life anymore. All of that was preceded by discouragement. Every kid who's dropped out of high school or college, every person has given up on their dreams. It was all preceded by discouragement because discouragement precedes destruction, which leads to the big question that we're going to answer tonight. And here it is. Is there a way no matter how discouraged you are, to replace it with hope? And the answer is absolutely. And tonight, what I want to talk to you about a little bit is I want to talk to you about a guy who is a great example from going to discouragement and hope, and his name is Nehemiah. And when I'm talking about Nehemiah, I'm assuming that some of you know that story of Nehemiah, but what I would like to do is I'd just like to kind of give you a little historical background here, kind of give you a little Old Testament history, and then we're going to jump right into this. In 606 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, they came and they, 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 they took Jerusalem. They tore down all the walls. They burned all the gates. They took everybody captive, and they took them back to Babylon. Well, when they took them back to Babylon, they were in Babylon for about 70 years, and they call this in the Bible the great exile or or the great captivity. So after the 70 years, they come to the, the people of Israel and they say, hey, it's been great having you. Now you can go back. 
So after 70 years, they went back in three waves. The first wave was led by a guy who had a really cool name. If you're getting ready to have a son, I, I, I encourage you to consider this name. His name was Zerubbabel. You've never met anybody named that. Your son will be the only Zerubbabel. In, in, but, but Zerubbabel would take a group of people. He took the first group of people back. Now, this is interesting because the first thing that they would have done was they would, have, they would have repaired the walls and the gates because what it meant in that day was it brought shame to the people. It was a disgrace to the people. It made them look weak and defeated and unprotected, but they didn't get it done. The second wave was about 50 or 60 years later. It was a guy named Ezra. He brought them. And that second wave didn't get it done at all. So 92 years later, there's 92 years of failure. There's 92 years of living in the rubble, 92 years of discouragement. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king of Babylon. And his brother Hananiah shows up. And his brother, Hanani, had visited Jerusalem. He comes back, and Nehemiah simply, he says to his brother, he says, man, what's up? How's it going in Jerusalem? We can pick it up in the scriptures here in Nehemiah 1. It says this. At the time I was in the, in the palace complex of Susa, remember, he was the king's cupbearer. Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews, and I asked him about the conditions among the Jews. Hanani said the conditions are appalling. The walls of Jerusalem are still in rubble. Remember, this brought great shame to the people of Israel. And he said the city gates are still in cinders. In other words, he says it's in really bad shape. And after the report, ultimately, Nehemiah went, went back to Jerusalem, and he addressed God's people back there. And he didn't hold anything back. He, we, we pick it up here in, in verse number 17 of chapter 2. When Nehemiah, he said he gave them a report. He says, face it. We're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned down. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. So some of you know the whole story here of Nehemiah. If you've never read this book, you need to read it. It's a great story. But what happened here is one guy with hope. He arrives on the situation, and in 52 days... They rebuilt the walls. They did what people said they couldn't do for 92 years. And the reason and what the difference was, was one guy with hope. So how did Nehemiah move from discouragement to hope and become filled with it? Well, there's three things that you can see here in this story. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's refresh your spirit. The starting point from moving from discouragement to hope is always about recharging your spirit. You'll notice Nehemiah in chapter 1, he's discouraged, but he doesn't stay here. Look at this verse, verse 4. He says, when he heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now, you got to know, he loved his people. He loved his city. So he said, that, he said I, sat, I sat down and wept, so he got worse. Then he said, I mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He was discouraged. And then everything changes in verse 5. Now, you got to get this. He started saying, God, God of heaven, great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Right there, Nehemiah got his eyes off of what he could see, his circumstances. And he began to get them and began to put them upon God. And you can see his spirit got encouraged. Actually, his spirit began to soar. He began to believe. He began to dream. And then he began to change things. And he never recovered from that moment. And neither did the people of Jerusalem. 
And a great example, there's really going to give you a good example of what I'm trying to say here with this point is this. How many have ever been to Walt Disney World? Anybody ever been to Walt Disney World? What a cool place. <laughs> so, yeah. Listen, it's interesting because in Walt Disney, uh, Walt Disney's daughter made a statement. She says, my dad was just a normal dad. Actually, Diane Disney wrote an autobiography about her dad, and she said he was as normal as anybody, any dad. She said he would take her to school in the morning. He said he would be there at night to, do, um, to help her with, you know, with homework. She said he was as normal as you know, Walt Disney could be as a dad. And she said, I did not really know who my dad really was until I was five years old and I, my first day of kindergarten. She said, on my first day of kindergarten, we got in a circle, and everybody's going around the room, and they're giving each other, you know, they're telling each other's names. And when they got to her, she says, my name is Diane Disney. And the, and the kids went crazy. And she didn't know what was going on, so she, she, she began to tear up. And the teacher said, no, honey, it's okay. It's okay. Just, just tell us your name again. And she says, my name is Diane Disney. And the kids started going crazy again. And, she, and, she, and, and the teacher called her down, and she said, honey, listen, listen. I think I'm, I may know why the kids are so excited. What is your daddy's name? And she said, my daddy's name is Walter Disney. And then the kids just erupted again. And she said, honey, I know why the kids are so excited. Your dad is Walt Disney. And she said, yes, ma'am, Walter Disney. She said, no, he is Walt Disney, Disneyland, Mickey Mouse Club. And she said, my dad. She said she never knew. She said she went home that night. Her dad was sitting in the chair with a paper, and she pushed the paper down. She put her little hands on her hips. She said, dad, you never told me you were Walt Disney. But then she said this, and this is what stuck out to me, and this drives my point home. She said, I walked around days for a month, stunned by who my father was. See, that's the same thing that happened to Nehemiah. And shouldn't that be us? Church, we can walk around, we get so caught up in our circumstances, our situations, what's going on around it, our future, all kinds of stuff. And Nehemiah, he starts here, but he doesn't stay here. He gets his back, his eyes back on this huge God. Isn't that Donald Trump? He gets back, he gets his eyes back. Couldn't pass it up. Pastor Joe started with me last night with that. I couldn't pass it up. But no, he, he gets his eyes back on this huge God. And he was stunned by who his father was. I'll never forget my youngest daughter, Samantha. She was in college at the time. She was going through some tough times, and we're really close. We would talk all the time. And she calls me, and she is, I mean, sobbing on the phone. And I can't hear her. I can't tell what she's saying. She's driving. I said, Sammy, get off the road, honey. What's wrong? I said, pull off the road first. I said, we'll talk. So she gets off the road, and after about two minutes of just sobbing, all of a sudden, this is what she told me. I said, honey, what's wrong? She says, Dad, God's presence is so strong and so sweet right now in my car. She was at that moment, she was just stunned by who her amazing God is. And that's what I love about this church. We go all week, man. We're fighting life. We're doing things. And you come here and the goal is to get your eyes off of your circumstances, off of your stuff and to get upon God. So when you leave this place, you can walk around a little bit dazed and stunned by who your God is. And that's my prayer for you. Number two, 
We got to rely on God. <laughs> we, we focus on serving. <laughs> you guys laugh. You know, back home, no one laughs at my jokes. They all stare at me. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they really do. <laughs> they really do. I got to tell you one of the jokes I told them back home. Because, you know, they're hog fans, you know. <laughs> I says, what do you call, <laughs> would, the, would, the, would, the, you know, would the pig say in the desert, I'm baking out here. <laughs> I know. So anyway, uh, where am I? Number two. None of them are saved. You guys are saved. Right there. All right. So refresh your spirit. Listen to me. We serve a big God. He's huge. Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, he's talking about my God. Come on, tell him. He's ta- okay, here we go. Number two, we got to rely on God. And then I put this here. you got to refocus, refocus on serving. And the only reason I did that, because it kind of works hand in hand. Whenever you start relying on God, say amen if you agree with this. What? I didn't even say anything. <laughs> oh, I love this church. I love it. <laughs> Godly people around here, Pastor Joe. Godly people. Okay. Now listen to me. A bunch of you guys have been Christians for a long time. All right, here we go. When you start relying on God, and start doing some new things, you're always going to get opposition, right? It comes with the territory. So they start rebuilding the wall, and here comes opposition. In Nehemiah 2.19, I have a hard time saying this guy's name and what he is, but but when Sanballat the Horonite, can you imagine being known? Right, anyway, so, so it's in the Bible, all right? It's in the Scripture. Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, and they mocked and ridiculed. What what is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? There was a whole group of people that weren't happy about them rebuilding the wall, so they were threatening them. They they were doing all kinds of things to intimidate them. So here's Nehemiah's response. I love his answer. He answered them by saying this. He said, the God of heaven will give us success, for we, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem. And as you'll see, that statement made all the difference in the world. But what I want to do here is I just want to pause for a moment, and, 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 and I just want to get personal with you, because I am what you call a recovering fear, a failure, a holic. All my life, from the time Pastor Joe asked me years ago to be the youth pastor, man, I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die and see Jesus. I was so afraid. In all my life, my biggest challenge, I had a lot of expectations all my life that because I was athletic, because I was big, because I was strong, everybody expected so much of me. And my whole challenge of my life was I was afraid I was going to let people down. And I became literally a fear of failure, a holic. And there was a time about nine years ago where God was starting to stir in me some change, some things that he wanted me to do differently. But because of fear, I, I couldn't break out. You know, I was successful. I was confident in all the things that I had. But, you know, th- there's truth to that statement. Good is, the, good is the, the enemy of great. Because when God has something else for you, what you can be doing at that point can be good. But I, the, the, so basically, I was, I was intimidated, probably like I've never been before, to, to step out. There's a great saying that I'll never forget, and I'm going to have them put up on the screen. Fear is a dark room where negatives are developed. And what, caught, what happened to me, I, I could not see past the negatives. So it took me two years when I finally stepped out and I started doing what, uh, what, the, making the steps and, and doing what God wanted me to do. And I'm going to tell you, the next three years were some of the most difficult years of my life. 
the struggles, the battles. I had to change. I had to relearn things. And I was so, I got out of my comfort zone. But when I broke out of the fear, I grew more in those three years than I probably grew in the previous five to seven years. It catapulted me into the next places God had for me. It opened up doors for me, church, that I never would have had open up before. And when I broke out of the room, I got out of the dark room of fear and discouragement. And my point is this. I almost missed some of the best years that God had for my life because of fear and discouragement. And I want to say this to you before we go any further today. God may be calling some of you to do something. He may be calling you to start something. He may be calling you to, to change something. He may be calling you to give something significant. But because of fear, you're a little afraid to give, to start it, to serve there. But think about this. It could be the beginning of the best years of your life. But it won't happen until you let it, fear and discouragement or you don't let it tie you up or bind you up any longer. Refresh your spirit. Rely on God. Do what he wants, even when it's intimidating. And I love this verse. When they got discouraged now, they were being threatened. And when they got discouraged, when they were afraid, this is what they did. Nehemiah verse 20, 421, it says, it says, so we kept working. They kept serving. From first light until the stars came out. In other words, they just rolled up their sleeves. It's like us just rolling up our sleeves, going back to work in our marriage because our best years can be ahead of us, going back to work on our calling or purpose or what God's called us to do because our best years are going to be ahead of us, going back to work on our dreams, going back to work on our college degree, going back to work on the things that we know that God has for us because the truth is our best years can be, be ahead of us. Never forget this statement. When you want what God wants for the same reason he wants it, you are unstoppable, my friend. And number three, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut her down with this last point. And this is my favorite point. Refuse to give up. Everybody look at here me for a minute. Young people, I want you to hear this. Our culture has taught us to quit way too soon, way too early, to give up, way too easy. And because of that, we miss out on so much that God has for this. I love this one point because actually what happened here in Nehemiah, they quit building the wall because of all the threats of what the enemy was about ready to do. They got discouraged. So Nehemiah rallies the troops back. And look at verse 14. This is what he said. After looking things over, he said, I stood up and I spoke to the nobles and the officials and everyone else. And I said, don't be afraid of them. And then I love what he adds next. Listen to this. He said, put your minds on the master, the great and awesome God. He's saying, remember the Lord. And look, look at the second thing he says. Then he says, fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives. In other words, he is saying, remember, there are some things worth fighting for. Fight for your marriages. Fight for your families. Fight for this generation. Fight for your dreams. There are some things worth fighting for. Refuse to give up. Remember the Lord. And remember, there are some things worth fighting for. Nehemiah, I hope you read it this week, is one of my favorite stories 
when it comes from moving from discouragement to hope. And some of you listening today, you may be thinking things like, Mark, can this past year or months haven't been really good for me. Can I bounce back? Can, 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 can my marriage bounce back? Can, can, can my young person bounce back? Can, can my finances back, bounce back? Can my family bounce back? Can my grades bounce back? Pastor Mark, can, can I bounce back? And I want to close with a story that I think, and I think I'm right about this, I believe that God would say to all of us when we're asking that question, can we bounce back? I'll never forget this story this pastor told of the most emotional day in his life. It was his first, first Little League game. And he says he was on, he was eight years old, and he was on a team that was eight to ten years old. And he said he was the smallest guy on the team. He said he, when, with his uniform on, he looked like a coat hanger. He was so small. And he said it got worse from there. He says he lived, lived in Iowa, and in Iowa, all your relatives would drive in from hundreds of miles around to see your first game. And he said it got worse from there. When the game started, he was, in right, he was placed in right field. And he said, even at eight years old, you know the reason they put you in right field, because you're lame. <laughs> and he said it got worse from there. He said the first three times he was up, he struck out all three times, never came close to the pitch. And he said it even got worse from there. He said, it's the bottom of the seventh, two outs, bases loaded, they're down by one run, and he's up. And he said he got up to the plate. And he said he was just shaking. And he's looking at the coach down the third baseline. And he's, he's thinking, coach, I haven't come close to a ball today. Pinch hit, pinch hit. And the coach looked at him and said, son, get up there. We all take our swings. We all play. He said when he got up to the plate, he looked. And he said he knew he didn't have a chance because the pitcher was six foot eight with a beard. But at eight years old, he said that's what it felt like at the time. And he said he threw the first pitch. He didn't even see it. He said, strike one. He threw the second pitch. He said, I didn't even hear that. Strike two. And he said he stepped out of the box, and he said all this noise. He said, and he realized that 200 people over here were cheering for him to get a hit, and 200 here were, over here were cheering for him to, you know, strike out. And he said he determined, I'm going to get a hit. He said, I'm going to hit this ball. And so he said, okay, this pitcher's fast. I'm going to start my swing in his windup. So he gets back up there. The pitcher's winding up. He starts to swing. He says, I see the ball, and it's coming. And he said, I swing as hard as I could. And pow, it hits the catcher's mitt, and the umpire says, strike three, you're out, game over. And he said at that moment, he heard something he would never forget the rest of his life. Those 200 that were cheering for him, including his 60 family members, he heard a groan from them that he said he'll never forget. He said at that moment, he said, I knew I was a loser. I knew I was a failure. He said he started walking back to the dugout. He said at that point, his life was the longest walk of his life. And he got in the dugout and he went into the corner. He put his hat over his head and his jacket around him. He just sobbed and sobbed and and sobbed, and he said, you know how 8- and 10-year-olds, oh, they're coming in and say, you wimp, you geek, you lost a game for us. He said, just continued, you know, to sob. And he said, it was the last game of the night. And he says, people were leaving. And he said, he was sobbing, and he said, it got quiet. And all of a sudden, he heard something from the, the, the field. And it said, son, get back up. Game ain't over. And he said, he took his jacket off his face, and he, he cleared his eyes, and out in the field were his 60 relatives, and his dad was on the mound with the ball in his mitt. 
And he said, son, get back up. Game ain't over. And he saw his bat over there where he left it, and he sheepishly just got up and went over, and he grabbed his bat, and he got up there, and he said his dad was so awesome because his dad started throwing a pitch, and he would swing and miss it. And he said, son, it, game ain't over. And he threw another pitch. Son, get back. Game ain't over. And he said, finally, on the 15th pitch, smack. He hits the line, drive out in left field, and he's just jumping up and down. And his, son's, his dad said, son, what are you doing? Run. He says, okay, dad, where's first base? I've never been there before. You know, so he, he takes off down first, and, and the left fielder throws it to the center fielder. He goes to second, and when he's rounding second, the center fielder throws it to the right fielder. And he realized that was his uncle Charlie, and he was blind. So he's going around third, and he's thinking, the blind guy got the ball. I'm scoring. And he comes in, and he dives across home plate. And he jumps up and he's dusting himself off and he said this. He said, there he was, three feet away. He said, tears running down his face. And it was dad. And he said, son, you're safe at home. He said, from the worst day of my life, he said, it went to one of the best days of my life as my family carried me off the field. And he said, when he got in the car, his dad looked at him and he said, son, I told you game wasn't over. And I think that's what God would say to every one of us today. I think he'd look at us and say, I don't care what your last year was like. I don't care what your last game was like. I don't care if you lost. I don't care how many times you've struck out. Son, you're sucking air on this planet. And as long as you're sucking air on this planet, game ain't over yet. With heads bowed and eyes shut, no one looking around. You guys just were phenomenal tonight. If you're here today and you say, you know something, Pastor Mark? I'm one of them asking that question. Can I bounce back? And those words that you spoke tonight are speaking to my heart. And tonight I'm ready. I'm going to refresh my spirit. Man, I'm going to get my focus back on my big God. And I'm refusing to give up. And I'm going for it, man. I'm bouncing back with his help. If that's you, lift your hand up real high. I just want to see the people. I, I got hands going up all over the room. Awesome, man. Okay, you can put them down. I'm going to pray with you for here in a moment. Maybe you're here tonight and, you know, you've never really made the decision or choice for God to be able to speak into your life, for him to tell you that, how much he loves you, for him to, for you to know that he's a big God. You know, most of us probably heard, you know, the, the, the truth, the great news, how Jesus, he came to this earth. He went to the cross innocent. He died on the cross. After three days, he rose again. He's now at the right hand of the Father. And why that's the greatest news in the history of mankind is Jesus paid the price he made it possible for imperfect people to be made right with God, to be restored to this relationship with him that we were created for. So maybe you're here today and you say, Mark, I've really never surrendered my heart totally over to God. Let him take center stage and really give him my life. And today, something is stirring in my heart. And I'm going to tell you what that is, man. That's God loving you. He's tugging on you today, and today I'm ready to say yes to him. If that's you, lift up your hand real high as I look across the room. I'm going to embarrass anybody, anyone today. Say, I got you, I got you. I'll look across the room one more time. Anybody else want to join those that have already raised their hand? I got you, I got you, okay. 
Gotcha. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. And this, this is the thing that you have to understand. What's most important is what's coming out of your heart right now. So as you say this quietly at your seat, today is going to be a brand new start. Go ahead and say this with me quietly. Say, dear God, thank you today for just opening up my eyes to who you are. God, forgive me for doing life my own way, for all of my sin. And God, I thank you for Jesus and the cross because of his death and his resurrection. Right now, I can be made right with you. Jesus, come in now. Take center stage in my heart and my life. I declare I'm yours, and I submit my all to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.